This week we bring you another episode of the Prime Direction in its original format. Some material may be dated, but we hope you enjoy it all the same. For more shows like this, visit us at infinitepotato.com. From the historic Cosmic Potato Studios, welcome to That Star Trek Podcast. This is your place for detailed analysis and speculation of all things Trek. Now, on with the show. Hey everybody and welcome to the Prime Direction. My guest today is Scott Madison. Scott, how are you today? I'm doing very well, sir. Thank you for having me. No problem. Uh... Scott is the host of the Next Time Podcast. It's available over on SoundCloud and on his website at planetrisecreative.com. He's also one of the co-hosts of Simply Syndicated's Movie News, which, of course, is available over on simplysyndicated.com. But, Scott, before we start talking about Star Trek, why don't you take a minute and tell the listeners a little bit about Next Time? Uh, Next Time is um, uh, holding the full title of Next Time, the comic book television prediction podcast. Yeah, um, I noticed that there are a lot of podcasts out there that will review uh, the latest episodes of certain television shows that are airing, um, be they uh, Marvel Comics-based shows like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or um, DC shows like Gotham, Supergirl, The Flash, Arrow, and uh, Legends of Tomorrow. Uh, and even uh, some, some podcasts will review Lucifer on uh, Fox, I think it is. Um, but with those shows that will review the comic book television series, there will be maybe a little bit here and there, some guesses as to what's going to happen. Well, now that they've done this with this character, I think later on in the season, we can expect this. Yeah. But I hadn't seen any shows that were nothing but those types of guesses and predictions. So when I had noticed that, and at the same time, uh, found myself thinking, about a few of the shows that I watch, this is so transparent and the storytelling is so by the numbers that I can I can guess what's going to happen next week and they're going to do this in this next episode. And it turns out I was right. <laughs> yeah. I decided to try to fold that into a show all its own. So um, on on my show, when the TV series start up in the fall, I will be uh, every episode every week. Um, I'm going to break it up into segments. So this week's Supergirl segment. Um, because they left it here and here I think this upcoming episode we're going to see this happen and this happen and I'll just repeat that for all the different series that I'm covering Um, and then the following week I'll see how close I was to being right Uh, so far I'm not all that optimistic considering I released (laughs) that what I'm doing now is I I will do a full episode for one series uh, because none of these series are airing right now so um, I just released an episode talking about the CW's Arrow uh, with the hosts of the DC On Screen podcast, um, which is part of the Giant Size Team Up Network. These guys are great podcasters. I've been listening to their show for a while. I got them on mine, and they let me on theirs. We did a couple crossovers, and we discussed for the entire hour the CW's Arrow and what to expect in Season 5. I released that yesterday. This morning, 
online we see a trailer that was first screened at Comic-Con this weekend, a trailer for Arrow's Season 5. And I already know that I am way off the mark on a lot of this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> they, are you doing mostly, is it all comic book shows, or are you going to do uh, other stuff? Uh, so far, it's all comic book shows. Um, there will probably be a few specials here and there. Um, like, for example, I might try to uh, uh, squeeze out a, a special episode predicting what's going to happen next time on Star Trek uh, when they eventually get Star Trek 4 underway, since I had just seen uh, Star Trek Beyond. And there are comic books about Star Trek, so technically it counts. Yeah. So I might be able to do that as well. Um, I'll probably try to do, say... Uh, the Justice League film, maybe Doctor Strange. Uh, I won't necessarily limit myself to television. Um, and even with TV shows, if I can find a way to justify doing a not traditionally comic book TV show, then I might try to move that in as well. I will, of course, find a way to do some predictions for Star Trek Destiny. Is for, it, everyone, it, for anyone who doesn't know what that means, that's the official title of the new 2017 Star Trek TV series coming. So excited! Yeah, I've got I've got some predictions about that too. I'll I'll, I'll talk to you after the after the show. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but uh, so uh, tell me a little bit about who you are now and what you do before we start talking about the past. All right. Um, well, the the non glamorous answer for who I am now is. Um, I'm a third shift nighttime security guard at a scientific research facility. And a scientific research facility is nowhere near as exciting as the name suggests. <laughs> Not even close. Um, I was about to say, you're, set, you're setting up a plot for a comic book right there. <laughs> <laughs> nope, not so much. Unless yeah. the comic book is about, man, it's really hard to stay awake because it's <laughs> nighttime and there's nothing happening. Right. Um so yeah, I, I've I've been doing that job for a few years, and before that, I spent four years as a different type of night security guard. So I've been doing security for quite a while. <clears throat> and when it comes to earning a paycheck, there's not a whole lot outside of that, at least for the past several years. Um, so in that way, it's it, it's fairly boring, my story. Uh, but the, the better answer would be, um, now at age 37, I am getting what I, I I prefer to call a late start to being who I want to be, which is uh, an artist, uh, a graphic designer, a podcaster, a writer, a husband, a stepfather, those last two being some of the more important ones. Yeah. Um, and still a geek, as I've been for a long, long time, but looking for ways to, to more fully incorporate that into my life rather than, than it just being some sideline part of who I am. Um, in addition to the Next Time podcast, we also have, as you said, the uh, Simply Syndicated Movie News. Um, for a time, I was doing a Babylon 5 podcast with uh, uh, Rick, uh, one of my co-hosts for Movie News. Yeah, he was on this show. He was on the first episode of this mm -hmm. show. I know. It was yeah. such a fantastic interview. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I, believe, I messaged him after I listened to your first episode of this show, uh -huh. and I said... I don't. I don't know what the point is of me going on the show. I can't top that. That was one of the. That was one of the best interviews regarding Star Trek that I've ever heard. Yeah, it, it was. It was a. It was a good show. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Podcasting is kind of. I'm like. I'm a couple years older than you. I'm 39, and uh, podcasting has kind of opened up a lot of doors for me as far as my uh, my my nerddom or my geekdom or whatever because I've started uh, 
I've started going to conventions and doing panels and things. I've started actually doing shows with people that that I, up until then I had only listened to on other podcasts and things like that. So yeah, I, I feel you when you say getting a late start because up until then, you know, I was doing a little bit of writing here and there, and uh, the internet really opens it up because you know you can put stuff out there, you know, very quickly. Whereas before, you know, I was just kind of writing stuff in a notebook and it would just kind of sit in my, you know, sit on my shelf for a long time. Now I can actually put it out there and let people see it. Right. Instantly. So. <clears throat> but it, where? Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, it, it it becomes a lot easier when you have something like the Internet. And it, it, here, let me talk about the Internet like it's some brand new thing. That's, <laughs> that's a revelation. The Internet has been around for a long time. But uh, once... Once you start realizing, hey, these are the different ways I can use the net to my advantage, then a lot of things become easier, especially when it comes to um, uh, distributing your uh, creative endeavors. Mm-hmm. To get, getting your creative work out there where people can see it becomes so much easier. I, I have many notebooks like the ones that you just described, most of them filled with artwork rather than, than writing, but some writing as well. And when you know that now that you've written it, the next step is to try to get it out there somewhere. So you look into how you're going to get it out there, and you see, well, you can try to contact this publisher or submit over here or um, spend years doing freelance work for magazines that no one's ever heard of to try to make a name for it. That's intimidating, and that sounds like way too much work. I'm going to go have a pizza. <laughs> yeah. But with with the internet making it so easy to just, I'm going to make this website myself, I'm going to put this out there myself, and I'm going to advertise it and market it myself and see how far I can make it go. And if it doesn't go as far as you want, well, then you've learned a few things from the process so you can be better at it next time around. Yeah. Well, tell me a little bit about what your life was like uh, growing up, because like I said, you're a couple of years younger than me, so your 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 Star Trek fandom is probably going to mirror mine a little bit. Mm-hmm. But just, I mean, uh, you live in Michigan now. Did you grow up in Michigan? Uh, yep, uh, born and raised in the in the same town. Right now, I live about five minutes from my parents in the home that I was raised in. Yeah. So, um, haven't really made it all that far away. Um, it's not the biggest city in the world. Um, or even in this state, but uh, at the same time, I've seen uh, comedian Mike Birbiglia here. I've seen comedian Louis Black here. Weird Al Yankovic I've seen here in town. Yeah. Uh, so the, the city's big enough to bring uh, some acts like that through. I know there are plenty of cities where things like that would never come through their town. Right. We are big enough to get you know some attention. Uh, the president's come here a couple times uh, throughout my life. Presidents. So not the smallest town, but it's not... It's not Metropolis either. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think even if if I had lived and grown up somewhere else, but still turned out to be the same person I am right now, if I were to come to this city, I would think this is about the right size for me. It's not so huge that I'm going to get lost or that it's going to be too crowded and I'm going to lose my mind. Uh, but it's not so small that you know everybody. Right. It's, it's just that right size where you can feel not crowded but uh, but you can still disappear if you want to. Um, in my house, it was... I remember before when I said that I was pretty boring? Yeah, that, yeah. that about covers it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it myself, my brother, my parents, um, uh, my parents uh, still together to this day. Um, 
and it had always been the four of us growing up. Uh, my brother moved away to college. I stuck around for a while. I have done the stereotypical move out for a while, then have to move back in with my parents. Move out, back in with my parents. Yeah. Um, and there, there's always a reason for it. It's like, oh, um, my lease was up, and my roommate is uh, moving away, so I can't afford a place on my own. Go back to my parents. Um, uh, get into a relationship. The engagement falls apart. Okay, let's go recharge at my parents before I strike out again. Yeah. Um, Oh look, the house that I was renting flooded. Guess can't live there anymore. Back to the basement. Um, so some ping ponging back and forth. Uh, but they they've they've always been there. And anytime I go back, there's always the Star Trek collection there waiting for me. Yeah. <laughs> they still have a VCR, and we still have, um, I think the entire Next Generation series that we recorded off of television when when they were running it in syndication five nights a week. Yeah. We'd throw in, we'd throw a tape into the machine, and we'd record the episode from that night. And we got, with the exception of two episodes, the entire Next Generation run on video cassette. It's a lot of tapes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because they would only hold. Well, I mean, I guess they would hold six episodes if you put them on EP. But then the quality mm-hmm. wasn't all that great. But <laughs> well, no, this this is back in the days when you know HD was not really a thing. So yeah, <laughs> quality was less important. What, what's more important? Save money by buying fewer cassettes. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> well, uh, tell me about your earliest memory of Star Trek. Well. You know, my earliest memory of Star Trek was not positive. Oh, really? It's a it's a negative memory. Um, for the longest time, uh, when I when I was a child, like basically the entire time that we were living at home together, um, I never really got along with my brother. We were not the the loving brothers that you might see on television. Uh, it was fairly antagonistic. We just we we didn't mesh. It, things weren't great between the two of us. Um, yeah. it, it's it's better than it was now. It's by no means awesome, but yeah. you know we we don't fight anymore. We don't necessarily talk a lot, but we we're not adversaries. <laughs> but back when I was young, things were not all that solid between my brother and I. And my brother, being three years older than me, was old enough to be introduced to and become a fan of uh, TOS before I was. So as I started getting old enough to recognize, you know, this is a, 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 a book of Star Trek blueprints in the living room. Well, that belongs to my brother and my dad. And yeah. I hate that book. <laughs> that book can just go spit. Um, uh, models, I would associate most things TOS with my brother, which would give it a negative spin for me. And I wish I could nail down when that started to change, when I started to view Star Trek in a more positive light, or what exactly made it happen. But it was so long ago, I can't really remember. My best guess is um, once movies started to come into play. Yeah. The movies were different enough compared to TOS that I think I was able to take it in as a different thing and enjoy it and not connect it with... uh, with those negative feelings like I was doing with TOS. I have since turned around on TOS as well, obviously. Um, but my first memory, not so positive because TOS was not something I was, I was digging. Yeah. Um, but then eventually the movies were my gateway and I could start to enjoy Star Trek again because of it. So I'm just, I'm just guessing by your age that, um, you were probably, 
really ushered in the Star Trek more with the next generation. I was just wondering, were, did you consider yourself a Star Trek fan before you started watching the next generation? Or did it all kind of come about at around the same time? To consider myself a Star Trek fan, it would probably have to be attributed to uh, the next generation. Yes, I, I would call myself someone who likes Star Trek. Uh, through the movies. I'm pretty sure that I saw uh, The Search for Spock in the theaters. I certainly saw The Voyage Home in the theaters. Um, and if if I'm not mistaken, both of those came out before Next Generation. Yeah, yeah, they started. did. Yeah, th- those are both pre-TNG. So seeing those movies in the theaters, I liked it. I didn't become what you would call a Star Trek fan until TNG. And I remember the family sitting down to watch encounter at farpoint when it first came out the they were playing a lot of commercials leading up to the premiere in 87 and the whole house was was excited i was letting myself get excited too because this is something that's new with star trek and i can get in right when it starts even at eight years old i was still finding the uh um the, the upside to getting in on the ground floor so when i knew there's new star trek that was going to start up and I wouldn't miss anything. I'd be right there for, for the beginning that got me excited. And I'd say probably throughout the first season, that's really when I became a Trek fan. Yeah. So I was going to ask you if the first season connected with you, because a lot of people, a lot of people don't really like the first two seasons of TNG and going back, the production values weren't as great as they are season three on and all of that. But you, you know, being eight years old, you may not have noticed any of that stuff. Yeah, I, I was too young to care about quality. Yeah. Who cares about quality? <laughs> like, come on. When, when it first started, I was young enough to think that there was nothing wrong with Code of Honor. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I don't see the problem here. What's wrong with the episode? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I, I thought that the episodes were fine. I didn't I didn't see the cracks in the veneer. I didn't see the, uh, the problems with production or budget or anything like that. And... Even now, years down the road, I can look back at those first, uh, say, two, three seasons of Next Generation and find aspects of the visuals, aspects of the production that I like that are absent from later seasons of Next Generation and from all Star Trek productions afterward. Um, I think you notice it the most in the final season of TNG in Season 7 when everything seems so antiseptic Everything seems so plastic and flat, and you can tell it's because they're they have gotten so practiced at streamlining the production process that things don't get as much detail put into them as they would have before. Yeah. If, if you can get away with a with a flat prop or a flat piece of set, then do that because it's quicker and and we can just make this happen. The first couple seasons, you're gonna find details, you're gonna find texture, you're gonna find uh, just little bits of set dressing here and there that you would never see in season seven because that would take too much time. So I find that charm in the first couple seasons because the, even if the stories weren't up to par where they would be, um, even if the special effects or the production values weren't where they would eventually be, they were still paying a lot of attention trying really hard to make something quality because they wanted it to do well enough to get picked up and stick around. Yeah. After after seven years, they they know that they've got this in the bag. They know 
they know when they're going to stop. And if they don't want to stop, they know they're going to keep going because it's a hit television series. So you can tell that they slacked off on some of the on some of the details. Yeah, by then they already had Deep Space Nine had already become pretty popular, and they already they knew that they had a movie that they were going to make. You know, so. Mm-hmm. Well, what what was it about TNG that you think uh, just connected with you and turned you into a Star Trek fan? I've been thinking about that question as well, and it's it, it's it's kind of hard for me to really put it into words. It's it's almost something non-specific. Just the the entire overall tone of the show. I mean, it was it was bright colors. It was better special effects than the '60s. Um, it was written at a level that people my age could still get what was going on more or less. Uh, it didn't leave me totally confused. Uh, a lot of the dialogue was just simple enough that I could, I could still follow the story. And if the dialogue didn't do it, then the action on screen would do it for me. So I never felt left behind or like the show was too grown up for someone my age back then. Uh, and as, as the series goes on, they didn't do it as much as, most shows uh, would eventually grow to do, uh, but I- I'm talking about uh, character development. Yeah, you can see the characters grow a bit throughout the course of Next Generation. Um, even when you get to Deep Space Nine, they start doing it more. Uh, with most modern television, uh, like you see here in 2016, um, the individual insular episodes that you can just watch in whatever order and not worry about it are very few and far between. Right. Yeah. Most most shows now, you start at the beginning and you watch all the way through. If you pick one in the middle, you're going to be lost because they're telling one large story. And mm-hmm. by 1987, they weren't doing that yet. It was, okay, here's an episode, just watch it and be done with it. And when we get to syndication, they'll just air them in whatever order they want and it'll be fine. Um, which makes it a little difficult for me to watch it nowadays because I, I want a through line. I want an arc. But they still did a good enough job of progressing these characters over time in Next Generation. Um, Worf especially. You see his character definitely grow and change from season one to season seven. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, Jordy and Data as well. Um, and the rest, uh, maybe not so much. Picard is more or less the same person at the beginning than he is as he is at the end. With the the rare exception of, okay, here's an episode where we're going to deal with his uh, PTSD from being assimilated by the Borg. Uh, but don't worry because by the next episode, he will have dealt with that completely. And, and we'll yeah, be- <laughs> he does, he never seems to really uh, have a problem with it until the script calls for him to, so, you know, it was the exactly. same, same thing as when he was tortured by the Cardassians, you know, he didn't, he didn't really have a, have any issues with it after that you know he didn't have a lot of flashbacks to that (laughs) yeah you you would think that um any dealings that he had with the cardassians afterward would be a bit more heated but no no he's fine the cardassians show up and they want these native americans off of this planet you'd think that picard would be like oh you're gonna come in here and try and tell me what to here let me let me hang you up in this room for a second how many lights do you see (laughs) (laughs) i had to watch myself i don't know if your show is um uh um, explicit or not, so I had to watch my I had to watch my language. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I mean PG is is I mean it's not a big deal as long as we're not dropping an f bomb every <laughs> every other word or whatever. It's fine. Gotcha. Um, let me let me go down my notes here. Uh, so was your Star Trek fandom something that you 
felt that you could be proud of or was it something that you felt that you had to hide or did, or were you a kid that just didn't care what anybody thought? Um, well, I, I certainly cared what other people thought when I was young. I was the, the perennial, uh, you know, unpopular nerd yeah. in school. Um, I liked comics. I liked Star Trek. Um, didn't have a whole lot of friends, but the friends that I had, you know, understood. Even if they didn't share my same fandoms, uh, they, they knew what it was like. So I don't like calling myself and the friends that I had back in school like you know the the outsiders or the misfits but it kind of was like that to a degree um the the kids who were not universally popular that was usually us yeah so i could share and talk about my fandom with them uh free of judgment uh, but especially back in the late 80s early 90s for me wearing your your geek fandom on your sleeve was nowhere near as socially acceptable as it is now, regardless of what your fandom was. Right. Um, so I would more or less keep it to myself, but if it came up in conversation, I wouldn't be shamed of it or uh, scared of it. So I, I never felt like I was being uh, you know, forced into a box yeah. with, with, with my fandom. Uh, but I wasn't necessarily... Um, you know, I wasn't going to conventions every every possible weekend. Um, I wasn't doing uh, early 90s cosplay. It was just a thing that I liked. And if it happened to come up, it happened to come up. Um, as I've gotten older, I have uh, definitely become more comfortable with wearing that on my sleeve. For example, the cufflinks that I wore at my wedding last year were um, Starfleet insignia. Oh, wow. Yeah, cool. Well, yeah. I mean, it's a lot more... I mean, today... Every movie that comes out is sci-fi or comic book related. Not every movie, but you know, nine times out of ten, mm-hmm. it's something like that. And so, um, you you run into guys that may have picked on you in high school for wearing a Star Trek T-shirt or something, and now you see them wearing an Iron Man T-shirt. <laughs> you know, so right. And then you're like, I, I knew I knew Iron Man before you did. You didn't even know who Iron Man was. <laughs> oh, look at look at Mr. Johnny Come Lately with the Avengers and whatnot. You know yeah. what? I was reading Avengers before. J- just go away. Shut up. <laughs> did you get into uh, Star Trek comics or novels? Uh, a, a little bit here and there. Um, I I never really found myself in a position. Uh, let's just say it financially where I could afford to keep up with um, a lot of that what I will call extracurricular fandom yeah the you know TV movies are are your main course when it comes to most fandoms um, if there are tie-in comics or novels to that sort of thing then you're gonna have to put in a little extra work and go out of your way in order to find them um, to say nothing of in order to to buy them so you can have them for yourself um, and I never really had the money or the time to do that. Um, but every now and again, if a Star Trek comic came across my path, then I would read it. I never read enough of the comics to to really follow what they were trying to do with them. Uh, the books were were more common. Um, my brother was definitely a reader, and as I started to uh, feel more positively about Star Trek and disconnect Trek from my brother, then I would certainly be okay with kind of you know snagging his Star Trek books when he was done with them. And, and read what was going on in those. Usually the bigger novels like uh, uh, Metamorphosis or 
Vendetta, the, the, the ones that started out as hardcovers and yeah. then were released as paperbacks. They're trying to tell bigger stories than just the, here's basically an episode in book form. Right. Like you get with the, you know, that ongoing Trek series of books back in the day. Um, so I'd, I'd get the bigger novels and, and get some of the, the more powerful stories. Um, I know that Peter David's Imzadi was one of the first Star Trek uh, um, extra canon novels that I read. Uh, that's and that's where my fandom with Peter David started. I've I've liked him for a long time, and Imzadi was probably what started that. Yeah, Peter David. I, I've made comments that I haven't read every Star Trek mo- book that, that's come out. You know, when I was in high school, I read a lot of them, but Peter David wrote some novels that I consider to be not just great Star Trek novels, but they're just some of the best books that I've ever read. And Imzadi was one. Imzadi 2 was, was, was pretty good. It wasn't as good, but you know it, it was a pretty good companion. Yeah. But then he wrote another one called Q Squared. Did you ever read that book? Uh, I know I did, but I can't remember the, um, uh, the real plot of that one. But I, I know I read it. Yeah, that was a great. That was one where they kind of brought Trelane from the original series back and yes, kind of said yes, that yes, he yes. was he was a Q. He was like a like an adolescent Q or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they had all these different timelines that merged together. In one timeline, Jack Crusher was still alive, and in one timeline, uh, the Federation was still at war with the Klingons. And then by the by the third act of the book, all these timelines came crashing together and on, onto one ship. And so people started running into copies of themselves and stuff like that. And it was, it was it's, it's a very good book. Mm-hmm. The audio book is so abridged, though, I wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, it, it's really hard to find unabridged Star Trek books, and that makes yeah. me sad. I, I wish that unabridged audio uh, for Star Trek was, was more common. Um, though I do remember my first, um, my, my first experience with Star Trek in audio books was... Uh, I, Contamination, I think, was the title, or Contagion. It was one or the other. I don't really remember the plot of the book all that much, except I know that uh, Wesley Crusher gets chased through the ship at some point. Um, and it's got Troy and Worf on the cover and some uh, creepy uh, mask-wearing fella in the center. <clears throat> and the main reason that I remember that is because I got that audiobook signed by... I'm pretty sure... It was Colmini. Oh, okay. Uh, so I got an O'Brien signature on that one, Once Upon a Time. I don't even know if I still have that. It, it was on cassette. Audiobook on cassette. Yeah. <laughs> Abridged on one cassette. Wow. Oh, wow. One so cassette. short. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also got his autograph on uh, the case for a um, Star Trek blooper tape, which was incredibly common at conventions. That bootleg was everywhere. Um, but I no longer have my George Takei autograph because it was on a photo and I've since lost it. I had a George Takei autograph as well that I, that I've lost. I didn't actually meet him. I used to work at a bookstore and a lot of times, uh, they would have book signings and they would get the author to sign extra books that they would sell. Well, his, one of his books wound up on a, on a sale table, um, and I picked it up because it had a sticker on it that said autographed, and it was it was his autobiography to the stars. Oh. And I picked it up, and I've moved maybe three times since then, and I don't know what happened to it. Oh <laughs> so, no! Yeah, I found at a local, um, uh, fairly new local comic book store, I found three Star Trek comics written and signed by Peter David. Oh wow! In the dollar bin. 
<laughs> in the dollar bin. You never know what you're going to find in there. Yeah, I, a part of me thinks that it must have been a mistake, but then another part of me says, well, what does this say for the value of the comic when the autograph only makes it a dollar? But you know I <laughs> grabbed them. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the guy throwing, the, the, the store manager throwing them in there, he, he didn't know who Peter David is, I guess, but... <laughs> <laughs> That's what I choose to tell myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, since you brought up Cole Meany, I'll kind of ask you about this. So, you're a kid when you're watching TNG. As you're growing up, a lot of kids, when they get into their teenage years, they don't pay attention to some of the stuff that they liked when they were uh, smaller, when they were younger as much. Mm-hmm. But then you go into uh, uh, Deep Space Nine starts about the same time that the sixth season of uh, TNG was on. So did you find yourself as as big of a fan of Deep Space Nine from the beginning? I mean, I know you probably are now, but from the beginning, were you as big a fan of Deep Space Nine as you were TNG? Mm-hmm. I, I loved it from, from the word go. Um, the, the opening crawl had me um, with it... <clears throat> um, with it bringing us back to Wolf 359. Yeah. Which, and I feel safe saying this because I don't use it for, for anything these days, but Wolf 359 used to be my password for a lot of my online stuff way back in the day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it's not anymore, so don't think that anyone's going to, you know, pull one over on me with it. That's no longer a, an active password, but for a long time it was because that, that storyline was a big deal for me. Yeah. I was, I was just in that perfect age where. Riker says fire and we get to be continued and I just lost my mind. What? No! Yeah. Ah! Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> now we had to wait three months. Exactly, so, yeah. So that storyline, the best of both worlds, really stuck with me. So when we get the premiere of DS9 that takes us back to that battle to see stuff that we hadn't seen, which was the actual battle. Yeah, that was yeah, really exactly. ex- That was really exciting. And that hooked me immediately. And even though I could tell I was just getting to that age where I could tell in seasons one and two of Deep Space Nine, these stories are kind of dry and cookie cutter. Yeah. And this could be pretty much anyone in these stories. Uh, But I was still loving it because it's Star Trek and it's Deep Space Nine. And I I was a fan of Cisco from the beginning. So I definitely stuck with it. And then once they introduced the concept of the Dominion, then I got super excited. Now, unfortunately, it was, I want to say, somewhere in season four, maybe five of Deep Space Nine, I, I fell off the boat. because Not because it was bad, but because it's scheduling, and I'm getting to be you know an older teenager, and right. I don't have time to sit down and watch this every week. So I did lose track of, of Deep Space Nine. Right about the same time that Voyager was uh, premiering. Because I, I know I fell off with both of those series at the same time. And I had to go back and and obtain and watch the rest of the series for both of those later on, years later. Um, but I, I never stopped loving Star Trek. I just didn't have time to keep up with the show on a week-to-week basis. Um, but up until that point, Deep Space Nine was wonderful. From, from a storytelling perspective... It was and is my favorite Trek series, but at the same time, if people tell if people ask me what is your Trek series, I have to say Next Generation. Yeah, 
because I watched it so much. I, I never stopped watching Next Generation. If there was not new episodes, I'd go back and watch the episodes that we had taped. When the series ended, I'd go back and watch the ones that we had taped. Or now, I can go back and watch them on Netflix. Um, not long ago, some several months back, um, my wife, who is not completely unfamiliar with Star Trek, but she had never sat down to watch them. Yeah, I, I got her to sit down with me, and we started with Encounter at Farpoint. And we watched all the way through seven seasons of Next Gen. We got all the way through seven seasons of Deep Space Nine, and we're working on Voyager right now. And to re-experience all those Next Generation episodes, most of which I can quote (laughs) a majority of the script all the way through, with the same intonations and inflections and pauses and everything. (laughs) I, I, I hear it in my head, even when the episode's not playing. So... If we get to a good line, then she's going to hear me whisper that line along with the character. Right. And then she'll laugh at me. And I'll say, it's awesome. And she'll say, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing a I'm doing a rewatch of Deep Space Nine right now. And um, I kind of commented on Facebook the other day that the first season kind of suffered from the same thing that TNG had in their first season where they were kind of finding themselves. Mm-hmm. And some of the actors, Avery Brooks, Nana Visitor, they kind of overact a lot <laughs> you know you can tell that they that they have theatrical stage training oh yeah absolutely and things like that but like you were saying earlier uh, the way that shows are now they're less episodic now than they are then i think deep space nine is one of the shows that kind of started that because they it was very episodic in the first two seasons but then in the third season when they started with the jim hadar and the dominion you had this big arc that went all the way to the end of the series. And uh, and before that, a lot of series didn't do that because they would they would always if there was going to be a two-parter, it, it would end with to be continued, you know, and you don't see that anymore because it's just a given that every episode is going to be to be continued to the next one. And right. I think the Deep Space Deep Space Nine is definitely one of the shows that I remember starting that trend. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> these days it's difficult to find a show on television, certainly an hour-long drama of any type, that does not begin with previously on title. Right. Yeah. You didn't. You, you didn't get that too much in uh, <clears throat> uh, most Star Trek series. Um, by the time we get to Enterprise, we started to get that. Uh, especially in season three, we got that pretty much every episode previously on Enterprise, and they would catch us up on what hap- what was happening that season. That was the first time I think that we had a clearly defined season-long story here's the season premiere sets up the story now settle in because we're running this story till the season finale right yeah and that's why personally season three of enterprise is my favorite season of that show because they told a season-long story and they were you know didn't try to hide it or disguise it as something else it was very clear no, this story is going to last for 22 episodes, and we're telling it. This is new for us, but we're doing it anyway, and I think they pulled it off really well. Well, how do you feel about, uh, I mean, I know you were an adult by the time Enterprise came about. Well, first, let me, let me go back. Hold on, let me go back. How did you feel when TNG ended? I mean, I know that being close to the same age that I am, you you knew that there was a film that was going to be coming. Mm-hmm. But w- 
were you sad to see the 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 show go uh, go away more than you were excited about the the movie coming, or vice versa? Um, I, I'd say def- definitely the former. Um, if someone had given me a choice, do you want the show to continue or do you want a movie to come out? I absolutely, with no hesitation, would have said keep the show going. Yeah. Um, even even though yes, I was starting to feel that some of the stories in season six and seven were starting to reach a little bit. Um, I was not pleased with the number of times that we would have, uh, you know, let's go into data subconscious or here's a, a weird holodeck story. Um, storylines that would take the characters to places that were unfamiliar or were purposely strange just for the sake of strangeness. Yeah. Yeah. I was not a fan of let's open up data's chest and answer the phone <laughs> because, right. because Riker with a straw in his head told us to, yeah. And, uh, okay. You're, they're, they're it's sailor tr- peptide cake with yeah. mint frosting. <laughs> with mint frosting. I love it. I love that. <laughs> that. That's that's the only good thing about that episode was is that line with mint frosting. <laughs> yeah. Um, but some of the episodes were starting to feel like that. We're, let's make a fantasy episode because we're having trouble coming up with good compelling stories that happen on the ship or on a planet. Um, so let's go into imagination instead. If they could have. If they could have stepped back and rallied themselves and counteract what what some call the brain drain of, you know, the great writers going from TNG to Deep Space Nine to make good stories there, and the guys that are left over have to keep TNG running, and they have a little bit of trouble with it. Same thing happened with The Simpsons when they spun off Futurama, quality yeah. of The Simpsons dropped because all the good writers went over to Futurama. Right. Um, if they could have just brought that level of quality up a little bit, then I absolutely would have been on board with more uh, Next Generation on TV. And if they kept it at the same level, I still would have watched it on television because it's it's Star Trek on television, which is where it belongs. Rick has said this a lot, and he probably mentioned this on um, on your show, on this show, when you had him on, but Star Trek belongs on television. Yeah. Movies can be okay. Wrath of Khan is, is a great example of that. I always liked Star Trek VI. I thought that was a great film. Notice they're both directed by Nicholas Meyer. Hmm, interesting. Right. But yeah. uh, when it comes to Star Trek on film, it's much more hit or miss. Television is where it can stretch itself out and really get into the characters and the drama. But with, with the movies, you have to find a story that fits into two hours. You have to pick the characters you're going to focus on because you can't split focus among seven characters in a movie like that. Right. So yeah. with, especially with Next Generation, it became the Picard and Data show. Um, with Insurrection and Nemesis for sure, um, mm-hmm. it it was a lot of focus on those two. In First Contact, they got plenty of focus, and I let's see who else. I, Riker got a little bit of focus in yeah. first in First Contact, but not as much. So, you notice that type of focus coming in with with the films. That does a disservice to the rest of the characters. But on television, everyone can get their moment. Even if you have to wait a week for um, Dr. Crusher to really get a solid moment, that's fine. It's okay that she's not in this episode. We're focusing on Riker and Worf. That's okay, because next week we're going to get Crusher, and we're going to get Jordy, and it's going to be awesome. That's why I think television works better for, for these series. Um as opposed to the movies. I would have 
really wanted to see more TNG on, on television. So I was sad to see it go. The finale was one of the better finales that we've gotten mm-hmm. uh, from, yeah, from Star Trek. Uh, it, it was an outstanding episode. Um, but I I would have been okay with uh, holding off on that great finale to get to get some more Trek television. So when the TNG movies did start coming out, um, where did they where did they not go that you wished that they had gone? I mean, like like uh, Deep Space Nine didn't get a movie. That cast could have could have held an audience for a movie, mm-hmm. I think. Um, but I was kind of hoping that after Deep Space Nine went off the air that maybe one of the TNG movies would kind of incorporate those characters into it, but that, but that didn't happen. We never got a Q movie. You know, uh, what do you think? Um, yeah, I don't know if, if a Q movie would have really worked for me. I think he, he also works better on television. Uh, I was thinking the same thing as you just mentioned, though, hoping that they would work uh, DS9, DS9 characters into Star Trek films uh, when that series was over if not give DS9 their own movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the same thing, no one else in Star Trek has gotten their own movie other than um, TOS and Next Generation, uh, which, which makes me sad. I think that, that they could have brought us back to the station uh, for a movie, even if you don't have, spoiler alert, people, even if you don't have Avery Brooks because he disappears in the, in the series finale. Yeah. It's okay. You can bring the rest of the characters back. We'll still watch them. Um, they they started writing books about what happened afterward because they wanted to keep the story going. Right. Um, I haven't read all of them. I I read the first several, um, and then my Kindle battery uh, stopped holding a charge, and I couldn't read them anymore. <laughs> um, but I would have liked for the the next generation movies, and they did this a bit with First Contact, sort of, um, in bringing a villain from the series into the movies by having the Borg be the, the focus. But the Borg aren't really a person. The Borg is a force of nature. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a thing that they're fighting against. It's not a person. Um, in TOS, you had one episode with Khan, and then the best movie that they made brought him back as the villain. I would have liked to see something similar with uh, TNG movies. And... While some would say, bring David Warner back as uh, Gull Madrid and have Picard face off with him again in the movies. He did it yeah. in, in the book. Do it in the movies. That would be that would be a lot of fun. Or um, I'm having a hard time coming up with more villains from, from TNG that might have worked. But I think one that most people don't think of, I've never heard of this character coming back in any books, in any comics. He showed up in one episode of Next Generation, and I don't think we've heard from him ever in any form since then, with the exception maybe of some fanfic that I just haven't seen. But Armis from Skin of Evil. Oh, think, yeah, yeah. I think he would be a fascinating villain to have brought back in a movie and see what you can do with him there. Yeah, absolutely. So so the, the long story, a little bit shorter, what would I like to have seen the TNG movies do um, that they didn't do was bring stuff from the series back into the film to connect us with the series that we love so much and and hopefully use that as motivation to make a better film because I we had a little back and forth on uh, 
on Facebook about this. Insurrection, I don't like it. I don't think it's a good movie. I don't like it at all. (laughs) (laughs) Nemesis, not that great either. And it's hard to point out exactly what it is that's bad about them other than the stories are not all that compelling and the writing is weak, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, it's, it's simple dialogue that doesn't have a whole lot of power or depth or strength to it. And because it's the movies, they want to make sure that people have a few laughs in the theater. So they put some jokes into yeah. the script and you have to do jokes a particular way. If you're going to make it work in star Trek, if you're writing a, you know, 20th or 21st century joke and you're just setting it in star Trek and hoping that people laugh will laugh because oh look at that's something that happens today and they put it into the movie cultural <laughs> reference that's nice pop cultural references will instantly put a shelf life of 10 minutes on whatever creative work that you do yeah so I, and it's not necessarily pop culture to say you know flotation device but in insurrection when data says in case of a water landing i've been designed to serve as a flotation device and then he bobs up out of the water a foot and a half <laughs> That's only funny because these days we know that that's what they do on airplanes. That's yeah. the only reason it's funny. And I don't want to have to rely on the here and now to get the humor from the 24th century. Because yeah. it, it's funny to us, but when he says that Picard is... If they had kept that scene going for another 10 seconds, it would have just been watching Picard and Anish stare at him before Picard says, What? <laughs> Right. I think that in Insurrection and Nemesis had the thing they had going for them was the fact that the show had been off the air. By the time uh, Insurrection came off, came out, the uh, TV show had been gone for probably five or six years. Mm-hmm. And because uh, didn't it come out in '99? I think something I, like that. I think so. Yeah. So. We were just so excited. It was kind of kind of the same deal with the Star Wars prequels. We were so excited to see it that we thought it was so great when we watched it. And then you know you watch it again later, and and you watch it again, and you watch it again. Every time you watch it, it's like this isn't as good as I remember it being in the theater. Everything <laughs> yeah. tastes better when you're hungry. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And I know what Insurrection was trying to do. They were trying to tell a slower story because First Contact had been so action oriented yeah so they were trying to slow down and they were trying to do what they had uh, done a, a, a thousand times on the series which is introduce a new alien species and have the the crew um kind of interact with them and, and all that kind of stuff but the to me the, the the bad guys didn't really work um the stapling the guy's face together and everything is <laughs> <was> really weird <laughs> But but I still you know if I'm if I'm saying you know I feel like watching a TNG movie you know it that's I, I go back and watch it every now and then I I mean I will always go back to First Contact if I just feel like watching a TNG movie but you know I, I've gone back and watched it a few times and it's got some parts that I like I don't really care for uh, when Riker uh, shaves and he and and he says it's smoother than an android's bottom or whatever and Data said no yeah, that that was. <laughs> They, they were reaching for that joke as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, humor aside, there are other things that I, I found myself disliking about the movies. Um, to see Generations, that was that was exciting because it brought the old together with the new. 
even those not all that much, we still got to see Picard and Kirk together. That yeah. that was exciting uh, to see the Enterprise B. This is uh, unknown history that we that we had not been uh, shown before, and the first time I saw it, I said, this is a great scene. We got Chekhov, we got Scotty, we got Kirk, and exciting things are happening. Oh, Kirk is gone. Oh, my God, what happened? I went back, and when I watched Generations with my wife as part of our uh, viewing, our, mm-hmm. our, our watch-through of the whole series, we got to Generations, and I watched that opening scene, and I could, to every line that Chekhov said or that Scotty said, I was just labeling, okay, that was the Spock line. That's my yeah. line. It was supposed to That's be Spock and McCoy. Yeah, absolutely. They wrote it for that. And they didn't change the lines at all. They just reassigned them. Yeah. So, so yeah. When, when Scotty leans over and says, is there something wrong with your chair? I said, that was Spock. That was supposed to be Spock saying that. Yeah. Chekhov says, you, you, you just became nurses. Let's go. Okay, that was that was McCoy. Yeah. Because how does Chekhov know who's going to be... How is he going to be a nurse himself? What's he going to do going down yeah. there? He doesn't have medical... Tra- oh, because McCoy was supposed to say it. Um, not only that, but all through generations, aside from the completely incomprehensible uh, uniform changing that they do, it's yeah. okay, they're wearing regular uniforms, but now Riker's wearing a Deep Space Nine uniform. Why? Don't know. And they changed the, commu- the communicator design change, too. Yeah, they just yeah. start bringing in design aspects from uh, other series and working in there because they think it'll be fun to put those in there. And then the writers, I don't know who wrote Generations, but I had to assume that it was someone who had not really kept up on the series. It was, uh, I, th- I think it was Brandon Braga and um, it was the same two guys that wrote the finale because... I remember reading, I I had a subscription to the Star Trek Communicator fan club magazine and all that kind of stuff, and there was stories in there of uh, Brandon Braga was writing it, and I can't remember the guy's name that was his partner, but he was, you know, he was writing it as well. So we had seen the finale, and the finale was so great, you know, so everybody was like, well, then this this movie's going to be just as good, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know. But then, then it wasn't. The, the Klingons are viewing uh, the world through Jordy's visor, and yeah. it and it looks like a camera. It doesn't look like what Jordy sees. We know what Jordy sees. We've seen it multiple times in the series. Yeah. But then they change it for the movie because they want it to look like a camera, or the uh, the 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 device, the thing that um, Soren is using to destroy the star. They call it trilithium. Well, we've already seen trilithium. They had an episode about that of Next Generation with Picard on the ship by himself going all diehard on these thieves trying to steal trilithium, which, which is a waste product from the engines. Yeah. And it doesn't it doesn't halt all fusion reaction in a star. It just goes boom. It's an explosive. That's all it is. But they use the same term, and they apply it to something else in the movie because they didn't want to come up with a different term for something. It's the little things like that, the things that people who have been watching TNG for years and paying really close attention will instantly see, as, wait, that's a mistake. You, you got that wrong. But they're writing the movies for the general non-Star Trek fan public who won't catch these little mistakes. And that's, yeah. what, bother, that's what bothers me. You can still write a good movie that appeals to everyone while still holding true to what we've already seen on television without making small little changes well how did you feel about uh kirk's death scene did i mean did, did that 
I mean, emotionally to see a character that you've watched in an entire series and a bunch of movies and all that, and you've, and you've kind of grown to, you know, this character, did he get the death scene that you think that he should have? Or what would you, what, what do you think you would have done different? Yeah, it was, it was close. Um, the, his his final few lines talking with Picard that was fine it, it it was written it was written okay I was not a fan of his death coming about because he just happened to be on the wrong section of bridge yeah <laughs> and just being on the falling bridge I don't know that I would have liked him being shot in the back by Soren which is what they originally filmed before yeah they, they had to go back and refilm it yeah yeah, before going back for reshoots, that's what it was. And I don't know if I would have liked that either, because that's that's kind of a punk way to go out getting shot in the back. Mm-hmm. Um, if if it had been something more directly involved in saving the day, like if he had gotten to the launcher and turned it off and an explosion took him out and then Picard finds him, they had that last bit of dialogue, okay, fine. That would have been better. Or a, a fatal wound from Soren in a hand-to-hand fight that has a direct impact on the end of it, cool. But he hits the button, he uncloaks the the launcher, and then his bridge falls. Seemed a bit anticlimactic, but what he had to say afterward, that did sound pretty Kirk to me. Mm-hmm. Um, with the saying, it, w- it was fun. Yeah. I did go through a phase where I was like, oh, what's this all about fun? Why is he all concerned about the fun before they leave the Nexus? Sounds like fun. <laughs> and then under the bridge, it was fun. There was a while where I thought that was cheesy, but I have turned around on that since then. said, you know what? That that does sound very much like him. That's the sort of thing that he would be thinking in those final moments. He was always the maverick captain and through it all yes he was trying to do what was right and he saved the federation on multiple occasions but you could tell captain kirk loved his job he had fun yeah so with those being his final words with the exception of oh my also very kirk it 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 felt right it felt uh genuine to the character is what i'm trying to say well, how do you feel about the 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 new films that are that are, have like as we record this Star Trek Beyond came out this weekend. Uh we've had two other films before that with what we call the Kelvin universe. It was being called the JJ verse or the Abrams verse. <laughs> <laughs> but um a lot of there's a split in fans because there's a lot of there's a lot of Star Trek fans that really only know Star Trek from those films. And then there's a lot of fans uh of the older th- of the older shows and the older films that don't like these as much because they've changed so many things. So how do you, how do you feel about those films? As science fiction action films, they're okay. As Star Trek films, I'm not as big a fan of them. Um, and if they, if they had said, all right, we're just reimagining Star Trek in a whole new way. Uh, let, let's let's try it this way. What do you think? Then I would probably be more all right with it. But they built in to the 2009 Star Trek a a plot device that explains what happened, and it explains how they are not rewriting the track that we have been watching for 50 years mm-hmm. because they introduced the alternate reality and. 
I don't know how so many people missed it, but I saw it I, the first time I saw it in the theater. You hear Uhura say an alternate reality. Spock says, precisely. And I, from that moment, I became much more okay with the movie. Yeah, he said he actually says the words, "Whatever we were before, our destinies have changed." You know, so mm-hmm. you, that, you know from that point on, anything can happen. Right. That scene does a good job of explaining this is a new Star Trek universe, so everything we do here is on its own. We're not undoing what you've already seen. This is something new, and and they did fine. I was okay with that scene. Unfortunately, they are much more action movie and less dramatic character driven Star Trek like we've had for 50 years. Yeah. These movies are built on explosions and special effects and thrills. Which is okay, but I prefer the the drama and the uh, and the character work. Well, how, how do you feel about the uh, about the new actors that are playing the characters? Because you know there was a rumor back about the time that um, Enterprise went off the air, there was a rumor that they were going to do a new show and it was going to be the original series remake with all new actors. And fans were like, "No, no, no, we don't want that." And then a few years later, in 2009, that's exactly what we got, but we got it in film form instead of instead of in uh, on television. Right. But do you think that the new actors are doing a good enough job as those characters so that you don't feel just vile hatred toward them every, every time they speak? They, they, they do all right. Um, uh, most of them have found that that nice balance between um, the, the, their own completely um, uh, unique take on a character and a straight uh, impression of whoever they are um, whoever they're taking the role from um, Carl Urban it's he's not doing a um, D Kelly impression right. but he sounds enough like him that you can still you know roll with him being McCoy and not saying why do they call him McCoy he's nothing like him just give him a different name um, so as reimaginings these performers are doing a pretty good job I think that they could have easily dropped the um, VW sound swap with Chekhov. I don't think we needed him to say Bessels. Yeah. It, yeah, that was just for a chuckle. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And they did it for a chuckle in the first one, but uh, same thing happened in Star Trek Beyond. Yeah. He's, he's still using W's for his V's. Um, so I think they could have easily dropped that sort of thing. But uh, other than that, they're, they're pretty good approximations. Um, I don't dislike the films because of their performances of these characters i dislike the films because they're not focusing on what made star trek star trek which is the universe they live in and uh the drama and the the morals that these stories are trying to put forth all the episodes of star trek that we saw back in the 60s on next generation they're small morality plays there's always going to be a point to it Excuse me. Uh, by the by, the end of the episode, they don't say, "Well, to me, the moral of this story is no." They don't say that. But yeah. <laughs> the final scene is going to have that moment in it. If you're paying enough attention, you'll get the moral of it. In these movies, not so much morality tales. They're just 
explosions and uh, a bunch of people get sucked out into space and then they defeat the bad guy at the end. All right. Yeah. Good enough. Um, but a lot of things, it, it's, it's tough for me to figure out the, the best way to word it because I, I've already said that I appreciated what they did to tell us this is a new universe. You see, this thing happened. Uh, old Spock traveled back in time and changed the timeline, so now this is an alternate version of history. That's why it's different. And I say, good, thanks for that. And then they start introducing other differences, which they would say, well, remember, this is an alternate timeline, so things are going to be different. But the person in me that wants all of Star Trek to be connected will say, yeah, they showed up uh, you know, when Kirk was born, and that's where the new timeline splits off, but that should have no effect on what Klingons look like. So why did Klingons look like this in Into Darkness? With yeah. the with the piercings and their ridges and and you know different styles of uniforms and their ships are all different. Uh, why would the bridge of the Enterprise look so different now? Why yeah, that, all, that's all, one these, of the, all yeah. these things that should not change because of that attack on the Kelvin, yet all these things are different. Yeah, the, the the technology seems to be more advanced than it was in the original series. You know, they've got mm-hmm. like holographic displays floating in front of them and things like that that they never had in the original series. And that that Romulan vessel coming through that that uh, wormhole in the first movie wouldn't have caused their technology to advance <laughs> that quickly. You know, even even when you consider the fact that if you read the comics that took place before the 2009 movie, um, Nero's ship that comes through the, uh, the black hole or the time rift or whatever. You right. Call it, yeah. He had that tricked out with a bunch of Borg technology that he's, but even that doesn't explain why everything is so advanced afterward. It just explains why his Romulan ship is so huge and gnarly. Yeah. Because yeah. And I, I remember those, those comics coming out. And even at the time I was like, I shouldn't have to read a comic to know what's going on in your movie. <laughs> Right. And I I didn't read the comics before the film. I got to them afterward. And I did find myself thinking, I can still follow more or less what's happening. They did a decent enough job explaining the movie to me. Um, The comic just gives that little bit of extra background, which was nice to have. I like finding out that the the ship that uh, that Spock came over on, that Jordy built that ship. Right. And the the revelation that uh, Data is is alive in uh, in the Star Trek continuity of the Prime Universe. Mm-hmm. At least in that comic, I don't know how canon that they're they're that it, they would keep that, but it, it is canon. The, the books have um, have built on that a bit. Um, so as far as the novels go, Data's back. They explain how it happened, which is exactly what we expected it would be. So that they just use that the the body that uh, what was his name four or B four before B four, and uh, they they just use his body and replace his head or something like that. Yeah. Well, well, Data had downloaded his uh, uh, his entire personality his. Yeah, basically his entire memory had he had downloaded it into B4, hoping that it would help B4 to develop and become his own person uh, and not be, let's say, slow as he was in Nemesis. Um, what eventually happened was B4 sacrificed his own personality and allowed Data's personality, which was in his neural net, to come back to the surface. So. Right. Data's personality was reborn in B4's body, and then we continue on from there. Okay. (laughs) 
Yeah, we've. I, I figured it was going to be something like that when Nemesis came out. That if they made another Star Trek movie, that yeah, they'll come back. They'll they'll do just like they did with Spock. You know, they'll bring him back and. Yeah. But but then they never made another another film. But which is which is why I thought it was a cop out. I, Spock's death really hit me hard. Like the first time I saw it, it was it was emotion. Um, when I watched. Um, Star Trek 2 with my wife a couple months ago just you know just for the heck of it just to watch it and we get to that final scene and I was a mess because it was the first time I had watched it since uh, the passing of Leonard Nimoy oh yeah uh, so that final scene in the reaction chamber very difficult to watch now when I first saw Data give his life in Nemesis no reaction whatsoever yeah <laughs> it, it had no impact on me at all because I knew what was going to happen. Oh, they have another android looks just like him. They already made it clear that he dumped his hard drive essentially into that other android. So they have their back door already. Fine. There, there's there are no stakes here. That was the what, the main mean. thing that I didn't like about um, Into Darkness. You know, everybody's got something that they don't like about <laughs> Into Darkness. But my main problem was that scene where they did the switcheroo and they made Kirk the one that dies and, and Spock is on the outside watching him die. Mm-hmm. And when you watch Star Trek 2, you're watching two characters that have been like brothers for 15 to 20 years, you know, since since the original series. Mm-hmm. When you're watching Into Darkness, you're watching these two guys that have worked with each other for like the last three or four years. You know, they, they're not as close. They don't, they're not brothers. But... Yet they tried to they tried to manipulate your emotions by recreating that scene and seeing Spock kind of break down and everything and it I didn't feel anything when I watched that scene because all all, all I thought was oh they're redoing the scene from Star Trek Two and they're switching it around mm-hmm. <laughs> that's about it so and you know there are no stakes in that either because earlier in the film out literally out of nowhere. He's not even looking in his direction. Kirk is looking at Khan, and then, apropos of nothing, Bones, what are you doing with that triple? Oh, I'm explaining to the audience how it is that we're going to bring you back from the dead at the end of this movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they could have made that the line, and it would have made just as much sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, as a Star Trek fan, uh, we're constantly exposed to little tidbits of philosophy, life lessons, things like that. So what does Star Trek do for you? that you feel makes your life better ah this is what i i got the questions that you uh, that you go from you you sent me a copy of these and thank you for that i was able to look ahead at some of these and try to think of some of my answers and this is one that i knew was coming um and i've been thinking about this one a lot i've heard a lot of people over the past de- several decades talk about what star trek means to them and a lot of them will uh point out how it's the philosophy that is presented in Star Trek that gives them something to strive for or gives us as a society something to work toward. The, the utopian uh, federation future that we see where uh, war is less of an issue, poverty is wiped out, uh, starvation, famine is wiped out, diseases are more easily cured. It must be awesome to live in the Federation, the 24th century Earth has got to be awesome. Let's get there. And a lot of people say that that's what it is about Star Trek that they love the most. And hey, I think that's you know all, all awesome and stuff. 
but it's not what Star Trek does for me. I don't find myself um, uh, pulled in by that particular aspect of the story. It's not why Star Trek is important to me. The reason Star Trek is important to me, it's much more, uh, I guess, a personalized reason. Because I can see the society that they live in, and it looks great. And I see the technology that they have. That's awesome. It'd be nice to have, but it's never going to happen. Not in my lifetime or in the foreseeable lifetime of my uh, of my family. We're just not going to see it. This is It's indistinguishable from magic technology. So I'm not yeah. sitting around waiting for most of it. What Star Trek does for me, it does by being a television show and movies and books by being this fictional science fiction property that I was introduced to at such a young age and that I enjoyed so much and was able to see so much and become so familiar with it that now, especially with in the past, I'd say probably the past year or so is when it's really started. The 50th anniversary of Star Trek is coming. So it's becoming more visible to people. Um, you know, a new movie is coming. There's a new television series coming. Uh, anniversary events are coming up, and Star Trek itself is becoming more acceptable in modern culture. Add on top of that the fact that now um, I have my wife who is awesome because she indulges my my geekiness, and she sits down and she's watching Star Trek with me, so I can go back and love Star Trek as much as I did all over again by watching all the series front to back. And it reminds me that when I was young, being as familiar with Star Trek, specifically the next generation, being as familiar with it as I was, it gave me... I I almost don't want to use this phrase because it sounds cliche, but it gives me a safe place. If If things are going wrong in my life, if work is stressing me out, if I'm trying to do a podcast and I'm just having trouble getting the episodes out on time, if I'm trying to uh, create some art on my computer that I can perhaps uh, offer for sale and I'm just not feeling that creative vibe, no matter what is going wrong in my life, I always know I can go back and watch Star Trek and I know every line. So yeah. <laughs> it's, familiar, it's familiar territory for me. If people want to talk about Star Trek, hey, I am there. I will bring the trivia. If people say, you know, Klingon is just a whole bunch of nonsense, I'll say, nope, it's actually a language. Would you like to hear some? And I can hit them with some Klingon. Not a lot, but I can bring some Klingon to the table. Yeah. People who know Next Generation, they can say, I remember there was an episode where this happened. I'll be like, oh, that was episode title from season number, and it was done by character this guy. And this is how the scene went, and I can play the scene out for him. Some people are good at swimming. Some people are good at baseball. Some people are good at writing poetry. Like my wife is a wonderful poet. I can't write poetry. But I can keep up with Star Trek trivia. And I know it <laughs> sounds stupid. It sounds really lame. But to be as familiar with Star Trek as I am and to be able to say I am one of the one of the stronger Star Trek experts that I know that's that feeling of comfort if nothing else I've got that going for me Star Trek was able to keep me entertained when I was young 
give me a safe fandom to go to as I was growing up. And now that I'm approaching 40, Star Trek is never going away. They can make as many of the new movies in the Kelvin timeline as they want. People who say, you're ruining my childhood, you're wrong. Those movies are still there. Those TV series are still there. You can go back and watch them anytime you want. They're not removing the old stuff to make way for the new stuff. Just don't watch the new stuff. Go rewatch Next Generation if you want and feel comfortable again. That's what I can do. And always feel comfortable in Next Generation because it was one of the first things that I was good at was knowing Star Trek. And and I, I always have that. I have that as my fandom. I can buy something with Star Trek on it and hold it and it's mine because I'm familiar with it. It means something to me. If someone gives me a pin like with the uh, whatever the, the logo is for the Hunger Games, that doesn't mean anything to me. I take it or leave it. I don't care. Hunger Games, I don't read that. If yeah. someone gives me a glass with Star Trek on it, I love that glass, and it's mine. It means something to me. My wife made me a glass. She went out and got just a, a standard you know, round glass, and she bought some Star Trek comics out of the the 25 cent bin at the local comic book store and she cut out pictures of the characters from the comic and she um uh you uh, i can't remember what she used like uh, uh, she used a fixative or uh modge podge i think yeah yeah and my she, wife does that kind of thing yeah yeah and she stuck these uh, clippings from the comic book on the outside of the glass so now i have a star trek uh glass to hold uh pens and markers and pencils on my desk huh. it's got uh dixon hill picard it's got <laughs> um uh, Riker holding the phaser, Troy's on there. It's got the Enterprise whooshing by. It's got some dialogue bubbles. It's, it's awesome. It's a wonderful glass. I look at it every day. It's amazing. Not just because she made it, but because it's Star Trek. Yeah. And it means something to me, and it always will. That's why I feel so comfortable around it. Well, so Star Trek hasn't been in a regular series run for more than ten years. You know, since Enterprise went off the air in two thousand five. With that and, horrible finale. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, which was really just an episode of TNG, basically. <laughs> but um, we're getting a new series in the in the in January of next year. But since Star Trek has stopped being on television, what what do you feel like is missing from your life because of that? And what do you think they need to do in order to bring you back to the way that you used to feel? when you watched a new episode of Star Trek every week? It's it's hard to nail down what is missing from my life uh, since Star Trek left television other than Star Trek on television. That's missing, obviously. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I remember, and it can't even be from when Star Trek left television because by then I wasn't watching it. Um, I did get back on board for the first uh, couple episodes of Enterprise, but then I wasn't able to stick with that for the same reason I couldn't stick with DS9 and Voyager. Because scheduling just didn't allow me to to keep up with the show. I didn't have cable back then. Yeah. Um, so I had to go back and watch that again later. So let's go back to about midway through Deep Space Nine when I stopped being able to watch Trek on television. Um what was missing was not something essential to my life, but it was nice. And that would be a series that I could sit down and watch and not only follow from episode to episode, but be able to, in my head, place that episode in the context of the 
very broad universe that they had built since the 60s. You got the entire quadrant, multiple quadrants now, with dozens of different alien species and governments and cultures. And we know how a lot of them interact with each other. So they've woven a tapestry that is the Star Trek universe. And to see each new episode in whatever series we're watching and in our minds place that episode into the the greater mosaic of the Star Trek universe was always fun. It, it always felt good to do that, usually because the people who were writing it knew where it fit in the grand scheme and they just let you put that piece where it belongs. That's something that I always dug about the series and I, I miss that now that it's gone. It's one of the reasons why I'm not as big a fan of the Kelvin timeline films as some other people are because I can't place that into the the bigger mosaic of Star Trek because it doesn't fit. Not the same way that the that the television series did. So I can watch those if I want to turn off my brain and watch some explosions, but if I want to have that satisfaction of building the the Star Trek puzzle then you need an ongoing TV series. And that's what I'm looking forward to the most when it comes up in uh, January to see how they're fitting this series into the big picture. Um, They still have been pretty cagey about how it's going to fit in or where or when. But one thing that I think we can safely assume it's not going to be a Kelvin timeline series. I think it's going to be in the prime universe. And that's what has me more excited than anything else. Yeah. Because this is going to be another steady supply of pieces for the puzzle that is the prime universe that they've built. And I want to keep adding on to it, and that's going to get me excited. It'll be like it's 1987 again, and I get to see a new series and place that into the big picture. Yeah. I I hope that they learn from what worked in the previous series and learn from what people don't like in the uh, Kelvin movie. And I hope that they use that knowledge well moving forward with Discovery. Well, where where are you now in terms of your fandom? Are you as big of a Star Trek fan as you've ever been? Um, or, or what? Just, just now Where is your, your Star Trek story? Um, I would probably say that these days I am at least as big a fan, if not a bigger fan than, than I've ever been. Um, you know, I was a, I was a Star Trek kid. I was a Star Trek fan when next generation and D space nine were on. Um, but you can only be so big a fan when you're that young, there's a limit to how big your fandom can be when you're, uh, you know, eight years old or your early teens. When, when you're a full grown adult with a, moderate amount of disposable income you can indulge your fandom and you can let it grow and you can allow it to be as big as you want it to be I am not so big a fan that I feel the need to make my own Star Trek podcast and put it out there and try to compete with all the other Star Trek podcasts that are out there because I know I'm going to come up upon uh, for example people like you who make a much better show than I'm going to (laughs) make so who's going to listen to mine mine's going to be a piece of trash you came up with one of the more original and interesting 
concepts for a Star Trek podcast that I've seen in a long time, which is not to pick an aspect of the story and talk about it and examine it and turn it over and then, you know, turn it right side up again, turn it inside out and look at it from all the different angles that we can, because many other shows have already done that. Yeah. You're doing what other shows can't do, which is get the personal story from individuals. And I don't know that I've seen that before. That's why when I saw the first um, announcement of yours online that you were starting this show, I got super excited. And then when you asked me to be on it, holy cow. <laughs> That's when I knew right there, no way am I going to be able to do a Star Trek podcast because I have to know that I can at least have a shot at being one of the better shows out there. And with the concept that you came up with, no, no, no way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just that. it's just gonna be me sitting at a, at a microphone and say remember that episode where they're like little pink like cockroach things and they <laughs> crawled inside the guy's mouth and then his head blew up yeah that was cool <laughs> okay next time on I talk about Trek uh, we're gonna discuss the time I saw George Takei and he shook my hand and said hi <laughs> Scott Madison is one of the hosts of that Star Trek podcast it can be found right here on the Infinite Potato Alliance. He is also the founder and proprietor of Planet Rise Creative, where he creates art of all types for fun and profit. If you have a piece you would like to have commissioned, visit him at planetrisecreative.com. Thank you for joining us for this episode of That Star Trek Podcast. You can contact us on Facebook and Twitter. Or you can send us an email at thatstartrekpodcast at gmail.com. Help the show grow by giving us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. Be sure to join us again next time on That Star Trek Podcast. 